You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. on life. Her bitterness was now gratitude. Her unbelief was now faith and her despair was now hope. This is what happens when one person begins trusting in the Lord and you take that trust into a very, very bad situation. One person trusting in the Lord brings hope to the hopeless. One person trusting in the Lord brings peace in the midst of chaos. One person trusting in the Lord can be contagious. Have you encountered someone whose joy and love for Jesus seems to pour out of them? Do you want to have that same joy and love? In today's message, Pastor Dave will encourage you to live your life for Jesus so others will notice that you are different and then they'll want the same thing too. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Ruth chapter 3 as he begins his message, Preparation. Ruth chapter 3, 1 through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. Do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. As we began our study in the book of Ruth, We said that it was a timeless story. And we've been taking it from this ancient times and bringing it to us today. We've been bringing it into our time. Remember, we said that it was a story of love, a story of hope, and a story of redemption. Last time when we read this book, we said that it was also a picture book. And in it is this beautiful portrait and glorious image of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the relationship we have with Him. Remember, we spoke about types in the Old Testament and how throughout the Old Testament these types and pictures were foreshadows of that which is to come. We said that these types are meant to enhance, to help, help us understand, and to elaborate on the text that possibly would make it more clear. Doesn't prove the text, it only clarifies the text. In another sense of the word, types are like prophetic images that we can see and we can glean from. Remember our study in the book of Romans when we said about, in chapter 15, verse four, for whatever things were written before 
were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Speaking of things that were written in the scriptures, they were written there for our hope, for our comfort, for our learning. And last time we looked at Colossians 2 verse 17. Actually, I'll read 16 and 17. It says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Hebrews 9, verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. In verse 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year after year, make those who approach perfect. So we see that these things, these shadows aren't bad. The law wasn't bad. It was simply a shadow of that which is to come. So we can glean from these shadows that we find in the book of Ruth, these types, if you will, and we can glean and we can look at the substance who has already come, Jesus Christ. So we look at that. We can point to the shadow. We can say, look, this was foretold of our Lord. Look, this is how we and the Lord relate to each other. The shadow isn't a bad thing, but tells us a lot. The shadow is not the substance. The old covenant and the law were not themselves bad or evil, but they were incomplete and insufficient because only one could bring cleansing, only one could forgive sin, and only one could give eternal life, Jesus Christ. Keeping that in your mind, as we come in now to chapter 3, we're going to see another picture. A picture of a bride preparing herself for her groom. A picture of the church preparing itself for the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we read through these verses, we need to remember when the two women first returned to Bethlehem. Remember? When they first came back to Bethlehem, the plan was simple. Ruth was going to take care of Naomi. They would eke out an existence wherever they could. Remember Naomi's attitude when she came back? She was bitter. Call me Mara. She said, I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. And on the other side, you have Ruth. Ruth is wide-eyed. She's excited. She has a new culture. A whole new culture. She has new people. But even better than that, she has a new God. The one true living God is now her God. Ruth had experienced God's grace through the hand of a man named Boaz. He had shown her compassion and met all her needs in gleaning. He had been kind to her and shown her favor. And it's interesting, one commentator that I studied said this, that, that grace is love that pays the price to help the undeserving one. I like that. What Naomi saw when Ruth gave her a new lease on life, 
Her bitterness was now gratitude. Her unbelief was now faith, and her despair was now hope. This is what happens when one person begins trusting in the Lord, and you take that trust into a very, very bad situation. One person trusting in the Lord brings hope to the hopeless. One person trusting in the Lord brings peace in the midst of chaos. One person trusting in the Lord can be contagious. As you see them trusting, as you see what the Lord's doing in their lives, it becomes contagious, and you want that. You want that for your own. Others catch it. They catch on to this hope. Not only does Naomi have a new hope, she has a new plan. She now becomes Yenta, the matchmaker. I just threw that in, folks. One of my most favorite movies, Fiddler on the Roof. I love Fiddler on the Roof. But she becomes a matchmaker. She wants now Ruth to marry Boaz, and they all would live happily ever after. Now, you may find this far-fetched for Ruth, I mean, excuse me, for Naomi to think this. But in this culture, marriages were arranged by the parents. Now, Naomi, the mother-in-law, acting as a mother to Ruth, had the right now to arrange her marriage. She had that right. From the report given to her by Ruth, Naomi could tell that there was something going on between those two. There was an interest on the part of Boaz. So she wanted to get, go, get things going in the right direction. And realizing that Ruth had found favor or grace in the eyes of Boaz, she knew that Boaz was their goel. Remember? Their goel, their kinsman redeemer. Naomi begins to plot a special meeting. She begins this plot. And through the instructions that Naomi gives Ruth, we can see a picture of our personal relationship we have with Jesus Christ and how we can prepare to meet him. We can be prepared. So let's look back again at verses 1 and 2 as we begin. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, talking to Ruth, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. We read in 2.23 that Ruth stayed close to the young woman of Boaz and gleaned until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. So the barley and wheat harvest are now over. Probably a pretty good length of time had transpired. And during that time, Ruth and Boaz had gotten to know each other. They probably have gotten to know They probably talked a lot. There was some interest there. They talked a lot. They looked at each other. They saw each other. So the plot starts to thicken. Naomi knew that Ruth could be best taken care of if she was married. So she suggests that Ruth appealed to Boaz for marriage. Now, interesting here that the word for security in verse 1 is the same word for rest in Ruth 1.9 when Naomi says, The Lord grant that you, speaking to her daughters-in-law, that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. This security is the same word. It's manawach. It means that a home should be a place of rest and security. Naomi hoped that her daughters-in-law would find rest and security in the home of a new husband because of their young age. 
rest and security. We find rest and security in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We find rest and security in Him and Him alone. When you're not in Him, there is no rest. There is no security. And you feel that. You might think that was inappropriate. You might think that it was forward for Naomi to suggest this to Ruth. You might think that it's possible that Naomi plotted to Ruth to make this man trap, to go out and hunt down this reluctant Boaz for marriage. Not at all. Remember the passages I asked you to read? The passages I gave you some homework to read? Naomi's suggestion to Ruth was rooted in this particular custom in ancient Israel, and thus the meaning of the Hebrew word goel, kinsman redeemer. This was the point in Naomi's question about Boaz. Is he not our relative? The word for relative is goel, kinsman redeemer. She reminded Ruth that Boaz was their family kinsman redeemer. And once again, we see this word, goel, kinsman redeemer. It has a specific and defined role in Israel's family life. And there are four places, four places where it shows up. In Leviticus 25.48, Leviticus, the law, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. That's one thing. In Numbers 35.19, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to be avenger of blood to make sure the murderer of a family member received punishment for that crime. In Leviticus, again, 25.25, he was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. This comes into play now with Ruth. And finally, in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying, marrying a childless widow. Now look this up, but I studied this for a while. And this is what got Judah in trouble with Tamar. Tamar was his daughter-in-law for his eldest son, Ur. Ur died, and he went to the next in line and said, you must fulfill your responsibilities to Tamar. And he didn't do it. Neither did the other son. And Tamar was real mad. And Judah went off, and you know the rest of the story. She ends up playing the prostitute and having sex with her father-in-law, and she accuses him for it because none of his sons would be the kinsman redeemer. None of them would take their stance. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees tried to trick Jesus. They tried to trick Jesus with this same law. In Matthew 22... In verse 23, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven, there are seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also and the third exactly to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife will the seven shall she be? They all had her. Jesus answered and said, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, you have not read that what was spoken by 
God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I love this. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. I love that. But here, Jesus, they're referring to this law. They're referring to this law. So the kinsman redeemer was responsible for the safeguard of the persons, the property, and the posterity of the family. So Naomi, seeking security for Ruth and herself, had every right to pursue Boaz in the matter of the law. In the matter of the law. But as part of our picture, there's an interesting word, a couple interesting words that come up in verse 2 of our study. And this kind of got me going. It was pretty cool. Now, Boaz, whose young woman you are, were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. I got into this winnowing. I got into this winnowing study. And it's a pretty, pretty interesting study. And we could spend eons on this one word. But winnowing basically is the process where you separate the mixed up pile of grain, stalk, and husk so that the edible grain could be sifted and eaten. To winnow the grain, the farmer scooped up the pieces of the crop that he had threshed, and he throws it up in the air. And the wind comes and he blows the light pieces of stalk to the side, and the grain falls to the ground. That's heavier. Over time, the threshing floor was covered with three quite distinct piles of materials. There's kernels of grain that fell almost straight down and were not blown away. Larger pieces of stalk or straw had blown a little way off. And the chaff is blown even further away. A lot of farmers used a winnowing fork or a winnowing shovel. And they threw the threshed grain in the air with this thing. Kind of like a pitchfork. Kind of like a pitchfork is what it looks like. And the winnowing fork was about the size of a pitchfork but it was flat and wooden. And since the grain crops ripened in April, May, and June, it was not unusual during the daytime because there was too much little wind. But at nighttime, there was a lot more wind. So they would wait until the cool of the evening when the wind would blow. This is why Naomi, when she was looking for a husband for Ruth, he would go to see Boaz at night because that's when he would winnow the grain. After winnowing, the valued grain was gathered and stored. The straw and the chaff were handled in different ways. Sometimes it was ignored and left to blow away. Thus, Jeremiah 13, 24 says, I will scatter you like the chaff driven by the desert wind. Sometimes the straw and the chaff were used in making mud bricks. Help bind them together. That should ring a bell to you. When Pharaoh said, you shall no longer make bricks with straw, he took that away from them. And sometimes the straw and the chaff were used for firewood. It was used to burn the ovens and make them fat. The process of winnowing now gives us a clear picture of God and how he will treat his people on Judgment Day. How he will treat his people on Judgment Day. The people who have believed in him and have lived obedient lives will be treated like the wheat. They will be gathered together and safely kept. In contrast, the unbelievers and disobedient will be treated like the chaff. It will be burned up in the lake of fire. The chaff is like burned up in the oven. And throughout Scripture, the threshing floor speaks of separation and sacrifice. Separation and sacrifice. In 2 Samson, Samuel, excuse me, in 2 Samuel, David purchases the threshing floor of Ornan after a plague had swept through the nation, killing thousands. 
I will buy this spot and build a place of sacrifice. Remember, it was the threshing floor that Gideon was called by the Lord. Jesus referred to the threshing floor, telling Peter that Satan wanted to sift you as wheat. John the Baptist mentions the threshing floor in Matthew 3. Turn to Matthew 3. Remember, we're looking at pictures. We're looking at shadows. Let me read you verses 11 and 12. John the Baptist is speaking about the coming Messiah. He says in Matthew 3, verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire his winnowing fan in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Look at this picture we have here. Look at this picture we have. To baptize with fire means to bring the fires of judgment, which will purify the pure and destroy the wicked like shaft. But let's take this and look at it spiritually. Let's look at this spiritually. The spiritual threshing floor. Holy Spirit is the winnowing fan. The Holy Spirit becomes the winnowing fan. In fact, in Psalm 1, verse 4, the psalmist says, The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. The Hebrew word translated spirit is rock. Ruach, which means wind. From the start, the Holy Spirit gives us a clue about his nature by calling himself wind. And we see here, in the, even in the beginning of Genesis, he's brooding over the waters of the earth like a bird over its eggs. One of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to blow the chaff away from our lives and prepare us to meet Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit on the floor. The threshing floor is the church. We are the threshing floor. True believers are the wheat, substantial, useful, and valuable. The hypocrites, they're the shaft, the light, empty, useless, and worthless, and they're carried away by every wind of doctrine, walking to and fro. And they're now mixed with us and bad. We can't tell the difference between the wheat and the chaff. We can't tell the difference. Because you may look like a Christian. Right on, brother. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may say all the great things. You may talk Christianese. But it's between you and God, not between you and me. But there will come a day when Jesus will separate the wheat and the chaff. The Holy Spirit is working in you right now, is working in you right now to purge you and to cleanse you. The Holy Spirit is making you into the image of Jesus Christ if you allow the Holy Spirit to do that. You are assured. Thanks for tuning in for today's edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Obedience can be difficult when life hits you with hard things or when your flesh desires to go its own way. But in the book of Ruth, we learn about the importance of obedience and the blessing that comes with it. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz reflect different characteristics of God that you can learn from. Things like sacrifice, faith, and loyalty. Each of them committed to living a life of honor and righteousness before the Lord, no matter how complicated life got. 
We're so glad you joined us today to study the book of Ruth. If you'd like to hear this message again or others from Pastor Dave, be sure to visit our website, assurehoperadio.com. Feel free to share any teachings you find there. If you have questions or would like us to pray with you, please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We'd be honored to pray with you. Are you looking for a church home? If so, we'd love for you to join us here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for worship and Bible study, and we do have child care available. You can get directions and more information when you visit assurehoperadio.com. If you can't be with us in person just yet, that's okay. We're still streaming our weekly services online through Facebook. Visit our website to connect. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. We hope you'll join us next time for another edition of Assure Hope.